and the Holy Spirit's here to empower tonight. It's I wonder, I'm talking about portals, but I wanted to read you guys something. Those that can hear me tonight, just get locked into this word. This is important. And I pray as you listen that God will just continue to saturate you with His presence, fill you with His Spirit. But how many knows Jesus said in Matthew 24, when He was asked about the end times, He said, watch out that nobody deceive you. And the apostles, when they prophesied about the last days, they prophesied about great deception. But I'm going to show you something. How many know Satan is the father of lies? Amen. John 8:44. He's already brainwashed many. As a matter of fact, there are many in the so-called body of Christ around the world that have been brainwashed and been deceived in many ways. If the early church, the early founders, those that you read about in the book of Acts in the first century, if they lived today in this time, they would have a hard time recognizing much of the Christianity that they suffered and they shed their blood literally to establish. The early church actually met in circles, not in rows facing a professional preacher in the front. There was little of any ritual pageantry or ceremony that you could find. When they met, the Holy Spirit moved in great power. People spoke and they sang in tongues. The sick and the lame were healed. People's needs were met. Over the years and the centuries, Satan has corrupted significant portions of the body of Christ, leading them away from the truth and into deception. Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to lead, people have instituted rituals, man-made celebrations, customs, and traditions leaving little resemblance to the beauty and the simplicity of the early church. The early church actually met from house to house in the different gatherings, but they didn't even have an organized church building. Not that there's anything wrong with that at all. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it looked a lot different than what it looks like today. Amen? Now let me give you something. Now this was in 1997. Everybody say 1997. So we're looking at over 10 years ago, and I want you to listen to this. This is going to blow your mind. From time to time, the Barner Research Group conducts surveys on current attitudes and beliefs of the church in America. These are some of the results from 1997. You know that over a decade later, it's a lot worse now. And whenever the Barner Research Group does this... They do it in an ecumenical circle, so they don't just do it in what we would call born-again Protestant Christians. They'll, they'll talk to the Catholics, the Anglicans, and I mean a broad scope, okay? So pretty much anybody that professes some form of following Jesus Christ or the New Testament in any way at all. But listen to this, 34% of the born-again Christians... And 53% of those that call themselves followers of Christ and 73% of mainline Protestants believe that if you are a good person, you will go to heaven and you do not need Jesus to go to heaven. I'm talking about great deception. You listen to me? 66% of evangelicals don't believe that the Bible is totally accurate. 74% of Catholics and 42% of Christians agree with that. I'm talking about deception. Because the Bible is the perfect word of God, word for word. 
28% of born-again Christians, 65% of evangelicals, and 40% of all people that profess Christianity believe that Jesus Christ was a sinner when he walked the earth. <laughs> wow. This is pitiful, friend. This is scary. We're talking about great deception. They, people are believing that you don't need Jesus to go to heaven. They don't believe the Bible is the perfect word of God. And they believe that Jesus was a sinner? Are you hearing me? 52% of born-again Christians, 72% of Catholics, 80% of all people that profess Christianity do not believe that the devil is a real being, but only a personification of evil. <laughs> Maybe if they would believe the Bible and actually read the thing. Number five, 55% of born-again Christians, 61% of all Christians uh, overall, don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a person, only a symbol of God's power. 35% of born-again Christians, 39% of all that profess Christianity, do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead bodily. What in the world? Let me just read this. Some modern Christian beliefs are pure blasphemies. That no longer follow the Bible or the ways of God. <clears throat> Prominent religious leaders have joined ecumenical movements claiming that you don't have to know Jesus to get to heaven. Just live a good life. They question the authority and accuracy of scripture. Many are endorsing and performing same-sex marriages. Some denominations are even ordaining openly homosexual clergy. And these are church leaders. So the question is, will you join this deception in these last days, or will you warn them? Now the ecumenical movement, which is a broad stroke of everybody that professes any type of acceptance of the teachings of Jesus Christ and the Bible overall, and these are not necessarily born-again people, this is a broad spectrum, including Catholics, etc., as mentioned earlier, the Bible says that a person who claims to be Christ's representative on earth will one day lead the one world religion. This leader, however, will actually work for the devil. This is the false prophet in the rise of the Antichrist that he's talking about. And the writer of this said, when I was in Colorado, this wasn't me, this was the writer. He said, when I was in Colorado a few years ago, the Aspen Times published a front page letter from the Vatican to all Roman Catholics encouraging them to welcome our Buddhist brothers indicating that there was much that they could learn about God from them. I could go on, but I'm, I'm thinking that you're getting the point. Great deception. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to take time to preach this, what I'm preaching about seductions of Satan. Satan is a great deceiver. And if he could take Adam and Eve who were in a perfect situation, heaven on earth, they did not have a sinful nature. They were brilliant. And if he could deceive them in that condition, a heavenly atmosphere, no sinful nature could deceive them. You've got to walk very humbly before God and lean on His grace because you have and I have a sinful nature and we live in a fallen, evil world 
full of Satan's influence. And if Satan could take down Adam and Eve in a perfect environment, how much more vulnerable are the people living today, you and I? And you know, the, the Bible says that deception in the last days would be thick. You know, I picture it like syrup. It's going to be thick. And it said in Matthew 24 that even the very elect of God could be deceived. That's how bad it's going to be. They could be if that were possible. But it's not possible because God's grace. And that's the only reason. So you got to understand that God's Holy Spirit lives within His people. And there's a grace that He will give us to be able to live in these last days. And not only live in them surviving. I, I really appreciate the end time movies that people have made. I really do. I enjoy the movies. I think there's there's a lot that can be actually learned from them. I think they're excellent and well done. So don't take what I'm saying like that at all, like a negative thing. But I think sometimes it's presented as just a survival mode. I don't believe that in the last days Christians are just going to survive. I really believe that there's going to be a very powerful army of Christians, a remnant of God that are totally sold out and radical. They're not afraid to die for what they believe. They're baptized in fire. They live holy. And they are going to do greater exploits than Elijah. They're going to do greater exploits in the early church. I believe that. Where, where they would see one person raised from the dead at a time, that there would be multiplied people raised from the dead right there. There's going to be people, I'm talking major creative miracles and, and major harvest of souls and great things. After the rapture, the earth will enter a, a tremendous tribulation. And those that were really strong in the Lord, that were really powerful in God, they will be removed. So those that remain, it will be a difficult time for them. But how many knows that those that remain, that follow Jesus, God is able to keep them. Amen. But I'm talking about portals tonight. The Bible talks about good and evil portals. Jesus called these gates of hell. In Matthew 16, he said there's gates of hell. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against us, meaning that they're not going to take us down, but there are literal gates. And the Bible also talks about an open heaven. So I'm talking about good portals and bad portals, and I'm going to talk about how to get an open heaven or an open portal to heaven over your life. Because I'm going to tell you that open heaven over you, that portal... It's going to be the very thing that you're raptured out of here in. Are you hearing me? Not everybody has an open heaven. I wonder about some people. I worry about some people out there that profess Christianity. All right. An open heaven or an open hell. Let me read to you this. Talking about the negative portal. Revelation chapter 9 verse 1. The fifth angel sounded the trumpet. So we move from the seals to the trumpets and the last judgments are the woes so it goes like that it goes the seals the trumpets and the woes so this is happening around the fifth trumpet area now this is something symbolic i realize that this is an actual event that will happen one day i understand that but i'm using this because i want you to see that this is possible and in many ways it is happening right now and i'll explain that as we go so the fifth angel sounded the trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given a key to the shaft of the abyss. This is hell. This is down in the lower regions of the earth. There's different realms of a place called hell. It's a literal place. 
when people die that are born-again Christians and they're real, they, they didn't die in sin, they were real, they lived the life, there's going to be angels that take you and they're going to take you up in the air. You're going to go floating in the air and you are going to go straight to what the Bible calls the third heaven where Jesus is. Okay, That is what happens when you're saved. When you're lost, there are going to be evil spirits that grab people and pull them down into the lower regions of the earth to a place called hell or also Hades. And right now, hell is a combination between the worst torture chamber slash haunted house you could ever imagine. People there are tormented night and day. The Bible says that they're constantly grinding their teeth because they're in pain. There's a lot of weeping. There's a lot of wailing. And they don't sleep. I mean, it's a continual torment. Okay, It is not God's will that anybody go there. The Bible says in the book of Peter that it's not God's will that one person perish. It's not his will. He made hell for the devil and his fallen angels. That's why he made it. And it's not his will that you go there. But if you serve the devil by living in sin, and if you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you refuse to follow him, then you will be pulled there with the devil. Okay, that's just the way it is. And so there's a literal place. One day, all of hell will be cast into a lake of fire. And it's all going to become a lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. But right now, it's a place of torment. Now, in that place, there are a lot of demonic spirits. And this is what this is going to make more sense to you. This is why I wanted to explain it. Because the abyss is a word used for these lower regions. And there's different regions there. There's a place in hell called Tartarus, which is beneath, it's the furthest place beneath in hell, and it's actually a place where some fallen angels that had taken wives for themselves, back in the days of Noah, where they are chained right now. So as the fifth angel that sounded the trumpet fell down and he opened up the abyss there was a smoke that rose out of it like the smoke of a gigantic furnace the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss and out of the smoke came locusts on the earth this is symbolic these locusts are, are demonic spirits they were given power like that of scorpions on the earth and they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or a plant or a tree but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. And then it describes what the locusts look like. These are demon spirits. And so, during these last day judgments, there's going to come a time when there's literally going to be a trumpet and a judgment to where the abyss is opened and there's going to be these hordes of hell that are released on the earth. And they're going to torment people that don't have God's seal. Because in the book of Revelations, I believe it's chapter 7, it talks about having the seal of God on your forehead. And you can be sealed, you can be his property, be marked. And let me just say this while I'm on the area of marking or sealing. You know, it is extremely important that you spiritually mark and seal 
your property, I'm talking about your home, that you mark and seal your family, especially your kids and grandkids, and that you mark and seal what belongs to you because when you anoint it and it's marked and you seal it off and you bless it and you dedicate it unto God, it's set apart, there's a mark on it. It's spiritually marked. And because of that, there's a covering of protection over it. And when the enemy comes, they're not able to get to it. You hear what I'm saying? And you can take a child when they're young and you can mark them. You can speak a blessing over them. And God may give you some prophetic words that you speak out. And those words, they, they, they're put on them and they follow them the rest of their life. That's, that's something connected to their destiny. There's a blessing that you speak over them, you anoint them, and you dedicate them to God, you set them apart, and they're marked. And when the devil shows up, I'm telling you, they can see that mark. You can understand in the spirit realm, you, you can't see it. There'll be you know 20 kids and you can't tell, but in the spirit realm, angels and demons, they can see kids that are marked by God and those that are not. But I'm talking about gates of hell, I'm talking about portals. This is an event that will come. But what you've got to understand right now, there are portals being opened out of hell. And there are gates of hell that are opening and there are things coming up out of that region onto the earth all the time. That is not something that's only going to happen one time. As a matter of fact, I remember Pat Robertson whenever the Twin Towers fell in New York, September 11. He, uh, he was talking about it. And he said that he could see spiritually when he was watching those towers crumble. And there had basically been, let's just call it what it is, there had basically been human sacrifice to a demon god named Allah. I mean, that's what it was. Okay, and so here this murder, this human sacrifice is taking place. And he said he could see as those things crumbled like that, he saw this, this gate of hell, this portal open at the base of that thing. And he said there was some darkness coming out of it. And people need to go, some ministers, I'm just saying this if somebody hears it, but people in New York that have authority there, that have an anointing and a calling to be there, you're mantled for that region of this nation. You need to go there and you need to pray over it. Because there, there is something to that. Also, I'm not going to get too much into it, but witches and people that serve the devil know how to create these little portals and conjure things up out of hell to do their bidding. So this type of thing is happening all the time. There's little gates of hell that open little portals. And it seems to be because we live in a fallen world and there's satanic jurisdiction, it seems that it's not really that hard to get a gate of hell open, but it can be somewhat of a challenge to get a gate of heaven an open heaven. You hear what I'm saying? But I'm going to talk about now an open heaven. So I've kind of given you a visual about gates of hell. Portals. And these, what a portal is, it's a gate that's open, but it's like a spiritual tunnel. And in that spiritual hole, things can traffic in and out of that. And if there's gates of hell that are open... By the blood of Jesus and the, and the fact that you are a Christian, you can operate in authority and you can actually shut gates of hell. I don't know if you knew that, but you can shut them. I've seen gates of hell that have been open 
and they can be open underneath uh, satanic temples. They're definitely open underneath things like Freemasonic lodges, things like that. They're open underneath different places that are pagan or where satanic rituals have happened. But you can go to these places where you have authority. I mean, don't go beyond your realm of authority and get silly, but, but places where you have authority and you can really pray and confess the sin and get that thing washed. And I'm going to talk about this here in a minute. Once the sin is confessed, then the curses and things like that can be broken. Now let me tell you a story about Reinhard Bonnke. I was hearing him talk about this in Africa. See, when he goes to a region, I heard him talking about this and explaining it. He said when he goes to a region, he takes and he writes down the different curses and the different satanic bondages that are in that region of Africa. Now, when he does a crusade, you've got to understand that pretty much that region, at least a huge section of that population is coming to Christ. So they're confessing their sins. They're getting right with God. And he says that once he goes there, and all these people are getting saved and washed in the blood of the Lamb, and they're burning their witchcraft paraphernalia in those tubs, that he will pray that the blood of Jesus come over that region. And he said it doesn't take a lot. He said just one drop of Jesus' blood is enough. And he said that once he prays that way, then he will go down his list and he will start breaking those curses off that region. And he said that while he's doing that, he's breaking the curses off that region, he said people are manifesting demons all over the place. This is the way it works. Because there's been sin and satanic rituals or whatever, there's been gates open. There's been gates of hell open. And there's, there's literally curses in those areas. And because of that, there's principalities over that area. So basically, when you go into an area, there's a principality there. There's curses. And whenever you come in, as a man or woman of God, you have authority. And you lead like a repentance-based prayer where you're confessing the sin of that area. Then it's gonna, God's going to honor that and, and it's going to cleanse. And then you have authority to start breaking those curses. And you can literally start punching a hole in the sky and start getting an open heaven over that place. And that strong man that was there can get bound up and literally can lose his power. But you have to go about it that way. You can't just go walk into a region where there's a lot of sin, a lot of curses, and just walk there and rebuke something like that because it has a right to be there. You have to deal with it the right way. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But once you get the land cleansed and, and people have confessed, just like with Bonky, you had all these people confessing their sins. I mean, you know that alone right there has broken the power of that spirit of that region tremendously hindered it. All right, so let me now go into an open heaven and start explaining it, a, a portal, an open heaven or a portal to heaven. All right, in Genesis 28, verse 10, Abraham at one time had traveled through a place called Bethel. And while he was there, he built an altar to God and he worshipped God and he prayed there. Now, Abraham had spent some time there and prayed there. 
And it had been a place where God and him had connected. So there was a, there was something in the spirit realm. I was just speaking with a lady at um, Calvary Cathedral where I went to see Rodney um, a few days ago. And uh, while I was filling out the registration stuff, she was telling me, she said, years ago, there was a tornado that took out the building that we had. And she said, it just, it grieves me. She said, I see it all the time. And, and now there's, I think she said like a Chase Bank or something there. And she said, I remember all of the awesome revivals and the visitations that we had in that place. You know, and, and she said, now we have this place, it's great, but I just remember all that, so, you know, nostalgia. She was telling me about it. And I told her, I said, you know, I said, whenever something like that happens, I said, there's something that's there from now on. I mean, it doesn't just go away. She said, I know. That's like Elisha. When Elisha died and he was buried, there was still something resident in him, in his bones. I mean, he was, he was dead and his flesh had dissolved and there was bones. And it says that they, they had killed a man and they threw him. And whenever he went into this, this tomb or whatever, when he was thrown in there, and his dead body rolled up against Elisha's dead bones. That the man came back to life, was resurrected from the dead. Once there's been a portal open, that place or that whatever it is, that, that person or that place, there's something different. God has visited. He's touched it. And that's what Lou Engle's talking about when he's talking about redigging the wells of revival because... There are places where God has visited in the past and there's still something there. There's still something to be tapped into. Are you hearing me? There's people that have gone home to be with the Lord that their mantle has hit the ground and nobody's picked it up. There's places that there's a resident anointing, just like we talked about that wakey-wakey with the angels. Remember that? There's things that are resident there that you can tap into that. But anyway, when Abraham was in Bethel, and there was that open heaven. Now, Jacob, sorry, in verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and he set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head to lay down to sleep. And I always make the joke about Jacob was a man's man, you know, like a stone for a pillow. That's, you know. Anyway, so he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth. With its, with its top reaching the heaven, and angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and there above it stood the Lord, and he said, The Lord said to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and will spread out, from, uh, out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you. And wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. He was afraid and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is a gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took a stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on it, and he called that place Bethel. Though the city used to be called Luz. Let's just stop there. And so Jacob tithed and all of that, but he had an encounter with God under that open heaven. 
I remember I used to go to the Brownsville Revival and it was a campus. And I remember there were times that I would be driving down whatever, I can't even remember the roads now, it's been like Cervantes or whatever. I was driving down the road. But whenever I would get to that campus and my feet would hit that campus, there were times that there was an open heaven and a portal that was so strong that you literally, you just felt like you were shaking and trembling when you walked on that land. But see, what you've got to understand, and this is the point the Holy Spirit told me to make, portals don't come easy. And when I'm talking about portal, I'm talking about an open heaven. I'm just trying to use that word because I think that it's, it's, it causes your imagination to see what I want you to see. An open heaven doesn't necessarily do that. When I say a portal, you can see like a hole in the sky and a tunnel through which angels of God are ascending and descending. Pastor Kilpatrick said that before the Bay Revival broke out, that there was a policeman out there, there was a minister, I believe it was a minister had driven by the Daphne Civic Center where the revival originally broke out. And he saw a policeman there and he saw these kids in the parking lot and they were like jumping up and down. And, and so the guy kind of drove by and he pulled in, he was wondering what was going on and he asked the cop and the cop said, I don't know. He said, all I know is these kids come out here every, I think it was every Friday night, they come out here every week and they're out here and they're praying and he said, God told them that he was going to give them a portal. And he said, that's all I know. They're out here jumping around and they're praying. And he said, that's all I know. And the, and the guy asked the cop, he said, well, what do you think is going to happen? The cop said, I don't know. He said, I guess God will give them a portal. Right. <laughs> uh, isn't that interesting? That, you know, sometime later... That in that very place where those kids had heard from God and they were out there jumping and praising in that parking lot, praying for God to open the heavens and give a portal there, that that's the very place that the great Bay of the Holy Spirit revival broke out in that place. See, the Brownsville revival, they prayed and they fasted and they believed God for two and a half years. They prayed. They fasted. They made Sunday nights. This is back when this church was a little more traditional than ours. And so on Sunday nights, they tried to break away from any of the norm. And they started taking the Lord's Supper. Pastor Kilpatrick would speak a blessing. And they would pray. And they would fast. And they did this. They kept taking the Lord's Supper. They kept speaking the blessings. They kept praying. They kept fasting until pretty soon the heavens opened and there was a portal there. And God had purged the skies. He had prepared things. And when the timing was right, Steve Hill came in as an evangelist, and it was literally heaven came down and revival broke out. But it was the two and a half years before that opened the portal. Or opened heaven. Listen to what Jesus said in John 151. He told Nathaniel, he said, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel thought, my goodness, you know, you are the Son of God. Wow. And Jesus said, listen. He said, I tell you the truth, you're going to see heaven open. You're going to see, he's basically saying, you're going to see a lot more than that. He said, you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wherever Jesus went, there was an open heaven, there was a portal. Now, let me say, there can be an open heaven or a portal over a place, like land, over a geographic place, a building, but it can also be over a person and follow you around. Are you hearing me? And God wants us to have an open heaven over our lives and a portal because that's the very thing that you're going to be raptured out of. When it's time, 
the Lord is going to pull you through that portal. Those that are ready, I'll say that. But see, portals, the opening of a portal in, in open heaven is not something that is easy to get. And it's not something that's cheap. It's something that you've got to pay a price and you've got to be persistent. Do you remember the story of Elijah when he was praying and he found a cloudless sky? Remember? And he was praying for rain. And while he was praying for rain, he kept interceding and he kept travailing and he kept crying out. He was praying. It was earnest. And then pretty soon there was a, a, a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah knew that he got the breakthrough. But see, God, if you got a, a sincere call on your life to a place, a people group, many times you'll come under a cloudless sky. You'll, you'll come underneath a, a brass heaven. And God puts you there and He's wanting you and He's wanting me to start praying in an open heaven and a portal. And over time, as you keep persevering, the cloud the size of a man's hand will come. And then if you keep persevering, it will grow and it will start raining. And then if you'll keep being faithful with that, it'll keep growing and increasing. But see, a lot of people, God puts them in a place of a brass heaven. It's heavy. It's difficult. And they start pressing through. And then they give up because it's hard. I'm going to tell you, this is the truth. That many people, God has called them to something. And as soon as they start to move toward it, all hell breaks loose. And they wimp out. They, they, they realize that the path that God has for them is going to be major spiritual warfare and they don't want to press through to the other side so they choose to compromise with the enemy and take the path of least resistance. And now you meet them and they're, they're there and they're like, well, you know, yes, God may have called me toward this, but it was so hard. This is, And they're not fulfilling what God's called them to do. They've compromised. And a lot of times that's the very reason that, that some people are not fulfilling their destiny and it's rooted many times in fear. All hell breaks loose and they're, they're out of control. They feel like they're in the eye of, eye of a hurricane and they're afraid and so they back off. Let me tell you something. The reason the children of Israel didn't take the promised land with the first generation is basically because of fear. Because they saw the giants in the land, they were scared. People that are fearful back off and they never take promised lands. They never slay giants. And they never do great exploits. And I'm kind of fed up with the, some of the doctrines I hear that's rooted in fear. You know why some people are very anti-Pentecostal in their doctrine? Because they're scared of the Holy Spirit. They're scared of it. I've met people and I'm sitting there going, why in the world would you be scared of something that's in the Bible? And why would you be scared of God? The Holy Spirit is God. But they're terrified of tongues. You hear tongues, they want to run to the mountains. They're afraid. And they've made all these weird doctrines that are anti-Holy Spirit. And it's rooted in their own fear. Some people have made weird doctrines that are anti-deliverance, anti-spiritual warfare. Because they're, they're wimps and sissies. I said it. They're scared. They're afraid. 
And they start making all these doctrines that no, no, there's no way that a Christian can absolutely never have a demon in their life. It's, it's like you're, you're scared. That's why you're making that doctrine is because you're terrified that you might have to stand up against a demon one day. Well, there's no way you should never go into an area, don't stir up a nest, don't deal with anything geographical. You're a coward, you're a wimp, and you're scared. That's why you don't want to do it. Listen, if you go into an area, you are going to face the spirit of that area even if you don't want to. So don't give me these doctrines that are made out of people being afraid and scared to take something for Christ. Amen? Amen. And that type of stuff really does grieve me because the doctrines that people make out of fear have caused... You know what the doctrine, that, like this anti-deliverance stuff, Christians don't need anything. You know the only fruit of that doctrine is, is that people stay in bondage. That's the only fruit. There's no good fruit that comes out of that. I will call it a doctrine of demons because the Bible says that that would be in the last days. The only fruit that comes out of that is people stay in bondage. That's it. The only fruit that's coming out of the anti-spiritual warfare doctrine is that cities and regions are staying in bondage. That's it. Are you hearing me? You've got to be led by the Spirit and use wisdom. But we've got to rise up and take some land for the Lord. It may take years and you may have to systematically flow with the Holy Spirit and how you're going to do it, get His strategy. And it may take a long period of time. It may take a lot of prayer and fasting and all of that. But eventually God has called us to take land and to take people groups for Christ. I'm going to read this according to C. Peter Wagner. I really enjoy his writings. C. Peter Wagner said, Except for Jesus Christ, the South American pastor uh, evangelist, Carlos Anacania, is probably one of the greatest evangelists of all time, converting around 5,000 people at a time. Anacania reports that before he even goes into an area to conduct a crusade meeting, he sends his team in, to fast and pray in order to bind up the strong man over that area. Only when God has shown Carlos that the strong man is bound, then he will go set up his crusade tents and the fields are ripe for the harvest. Are you hearing me? Anacondia's group would go in there and they would pray and they would fast and they would pray and they would fast and they would pray and they would fast, and they would fast until... God spoke to Carlos that they had basically punched a hole in the sky. And that God had heard them and sent his angels and dealt with that strong man. Then, Carlos would come in and he would set up those tents, those crusade tents. And even while he was preaching underneath the platform, he would have intercessors down there crying out for souls. And they would literally be, literally, without exaggeration, whole cities that came to know Christ. Are you hearing me? I think that he might have tapped into something. Because he wasn't afraid of the devil. And did you know whenever he would go in, this is, I, I remember Sandy and I met a guy that we were at a Gideon meeting, remember? And his name was Dan. And he was doing some worship or something. He was telling us that his parents were actually missionaries in the Argentine revival. And he was at the meetings. So he confirmed what, and I told him, I said, well, I've heard about these meetings. And that Carlos would get up there in the platform. First thing he would do is, listen to me, Satan. And he would start taking authority. And all these people manifest demons and fall under the power. And he goes, yeah, I was there. And they'd have to carry him off. And they would go get them delivered. And everybody else gets saved. And then all these signs and wonders would break out. 
one of the great um, miracles that happened a lot was about gold fillings in people's teeth. It was miraculous, a lot of miraculous stories. I could give you a couple real quick. One of them was that there was a lady that couldn't bring her son or whatever, but she brought a prayer cloth, Acts chapter 19. Okay, just like that. She brought a prayer cloth and had Carlos pray over. She went back to her son who was in an institution. He had Down syndrome and put the cloth on her son and his facial features started changing right there and he was healed from Down syndrome. While that was happening, there was another lady in this place. I guess it was like sort of like a nursing home hospital type of thing where they'd take care of him. There was a lady over here with her son who had the same illness. She saw the cloth hit that kid and that changed. She dove and they wrestled and fought over the cloth. She won, got the cloth, threw it on her son who the same thing happened to. These were some of the signs and wonders of the Argentine Revival. There are other prophets and evangelists such as Ed Silvoso, Sidney Jacobs, and many others that advocate a similar process and send teams of intercessors who spend weeks of prayer and fasting um, to see the strong man over a region bound up. And then after that, they will send people out evangelizing and the harvest will be ripe. People often ask Pastor um, David Yonggi Cho in Seoul, Korea, how his humble house church movement exploded into the largest church in the world. His answer has always been the same. We bound up the strongman over South Korea. And Dr. Cho would always say these two phrases. People would ask him. He said, number one, he said, this was his famous phrase, we purged the skies over Korea. And then he would say, we bound the strongman over South Korea. That's just, it goes together. So once that happens, once the skies are purged, once there's an open heaven, once there's a portal, then you can start reaping a great harvest. This type of preaching may not be real popular among those that are afraid of these things, but I'm going to tell you, we've got to take land. Amen? We've got to take the harvest. All right. So how do you get an open heaven over your life? And we talked about the house last week. And let me tell you, your house can have an open heaven over it. It can have a portal. Your life can have a portal. Your ministry can have a portal. When Sandy and I first came to this area, it was extremely difficult to pray. This area was heavy. It was oppressed. I would say that this area was extremely religious. And as we began to pray, the ministry was just a street evangelism and just a few people praying type of thing. As we kept praying, kept praying, kept praying, God began to move, and I remember that there was a point in time when we were worshiping one night, there was just a handful of people, and this cloud came in. I saw the cloud, and I was watching this little cloud, and it would go over, and nobody else knew what was going on. I was watching it. And I would watch it, and it would go over somebody's head, and then they would start crying and really weeping as God was touching them. Then I saw the cloud go to somebody else, and I knew, I knew that we had started pressing into an open heaven and started pressing into a revival when that started happening. But see, anything that's of significance takes time. I wish people would understand that. They want microwave Christianity. They want it quick and easy. They want Burger King. They want it their way now. And in the kingdom of God, it does not work like that. It works at Burger King. It does not work with Jesus. Okay? <laughs> 
And when you go into an area, you cannot have it your way in five minutes, and it's not going to be easy. In fact, it could be extremely difficult. But you've got to learn to persevere. You know, people look at something like, you know, IHOP or whatever. They go, wow, check it out. But you know what? IHOP was like 30 years in the making before it was what it is now. Did you know that? A lot of people look at Bethel. Bethel's been there a long time, like 20 years probably going back. You know, they had to pray it in. They had to press through. And the thing is, when you look at the lives of people like Paul, he went out for 16 years seeking the Lord in private. And then his ministry started. But even when he came back, he was at a church called Antioch, and he was there for quite a while. And there was a time, though, when God released him into his apostolic ministry. David, who was anointed and called to be king, but yet probably around 16 years traveled in caves. Abraham was called, but didn't see anything for a long time, many years. Didn't have a son who was like 25 years from the time he was called. And God spoke to him, you'll be the father of many nations, about 25 years before he gave birth to Isaac. See, people don't, it's like they read that and it doesn't really register with them. They don't realize, you know what, this isn't quick and easy. It doesn't take two years. Sometimes it takes, you know, 15, 20 years to really get a, a press through and get a portal. And people don't realize that, that Pastor Kilpatrick was at Brownsville since 83. They are 82. It was, it was something like that. And he was there from that time all the way until Father's Day in 95. And he had to lay that groundwork for like those 12, 13 years. You hear what I'm saying? It wasn't like he started the church in 94. And they had to pray and fast for those two and a half years. They had to press through. So anyway, once you clean out your house and your life and you go through and you begin to get all the junk out, get all the stuff out needs to go. If you've had things that, you know, ladies get saved, maybe you had things that were inappropriate, now you're chunking it out. Things that were watched on TV, whatever, music. Go through everything. Go through every drawer, clean house. Once you do that, Begin to anoint your home and begin to speak blessings. Let me tell you about blessings. I'm going to try to say things I haven't said in previous sermons. This is how blessings work. When you have dry ground outside, it hasn't rained for, say, six months. The, the ground is extremely dry. There's cracks in it. And all of a sudden, there's a strong rain. The ground just soaks it up, and it's gone. But if, you, if it keeps raining... And keeps raining, pretty soon there'll be standing water. And that's the way blessings work. You speak a blessing the first time, the second time, the third time, it just soaks in. You keep speaking blessings, keep speaking blessings, and keep doing it, pretty soon it becomes like standing water. Understand the incredible power of the tongue and the protective covering that comes from blessings. See, whenever you, you, know, you want to go out and do something for the Lord, anytime you start something new in your life, get an authority figure to speak a blessing over you. If you start a new job, you start a new school, you step out in a new direction in ministry, get a blessing spoken over you. Man, it is so important that little kids get blessed when they're little. Remember when Jesus, when they brought the little children to Jesus, what did Jesus do? It doesn't say that he anointed them. It doesn't say that he healed them. It doesn't even say that he prayed over them. He took them and he spoke a blessing over them. Why? Because he put that on them and so the rest of their life would be blessed. And see, there's something about a blessing 
that will carry you through the most difficult times. When a person, a place, or a thing is blessed, it is extremely difficult for Satan's kingdom to traffic against it because it's already blessed. You know, Satan cannot curse what God has blessed. So whenever you clean out your home and you get all the junk out and you go through and apply the blood of Jesus, you anoint it, you speak blessings, once that place is blessed and it's holy, the enemy cannot traffic. And if he does try to traffic, it's difficult for him. It's difficult. And whenever a person, a minister, a child, whoever is blessed, it's very difficult for the enemy to pull them all the way down. They may attack them, they may put them through some things, but they cannot take them down because they're blessed. And that blessing will gird up under them and will carry them through it and raise them up on the other side. 1 Peter 3.9 says, don't repay evil for evil, but instead blessings so that you may inherit a blessing. When people curse you, you bless them. And here's the thing, as you bless other people, places, situations, keep blessing, keep blessing, and it'll turn the thing around. You've had a difficulty in your finances, you've had a difficulty, you need to ask yourself, no matter what you're going through, is there a reason that maybe something you spoke has set a curse in motion? You know, some people have been so negative in their past that they've spoken so many things over their, their finances, and now it's like they're saved, but they're working against those curses. I just heard a story about the power of what you say. There was a woman who her mother took sick and she had to raise basically her brothers and sisters. And now as an adult, at some point in time, she said that she, she was frustrated. She had to raise all these kids, kind of missed out on her childhood. She said out of her mouth, she said, I swear to God, I'll never have kids. That's what she said. Well, later on, she got saved and she got a husband. And she wanted to have kids then, but she couldn't. And she went to the doctor. And for some reason, the doctor was a Christian man and said, you know what? There's no reason you shouldn't be having kids. And he said, I want you to go talk to my pastor. <laughs> and she said, okay. And so she went to talk to him. And the pastor said, is there anything that you've ever said? And she said, oh, my goodness. She said, yeah, there is. Anyway, the pastor led her in a prayer to renounce that what she spoke and now she has three kids you see what I'm saying there's things that you speak and let me tell you that I'm not going to get into it. I will talk more about this later but there can be things that, that you vow that you speak out as a vow that will turn around and work against you one day if you're not careful remember she said she swore to God there's sometimes there's things that are ties. I am talking about soul ties, but I'm talking about much more than that. There can be these ties that form. And it can form with people. And I know that sex is the biggest way that forms. But soul ties and different ties like that can form without sex. It can form with family and friends. And it, it can even form with groups of people. And that sometimes those things have to be severed because it can affect a person. It's like that tie is like a little, a little bitty gate of hell, if you will, that things can traffic in and out of their life through that little gate. And whenever that person makes some kind of an oath, they swear, or they make some kind of a vow, or they say a curse, they speak it, it's like a little bitty gate of hell that opened, and now the enemy's at work. But once you go back and you renounce that, and you take it back and you break that, 
you can reverse that. You can shut the gate of hell that was once open. And now you can open up a portal of blessings that will flow. So your words have tremendous power. And many times when you go into a house or you go into a church or different places, there's been so much strife and fighting that literally the words that have been spoken and the the atmosphere of strife and the fighting and all the bickering that's gone on has caused the atmosphere in that place to be cursed and oppressive. And you've got to go through there and begin to let the Lord flush out all that pollution out and then replace it with you speaking blessings in life. And once you start speaking blessings and you keep doing it, it will literally begin to create life into the atmosphere. And the place will become a place that's easy to pray and easy to read the word. Now I gave out last sermon, I gave out blessings to speak over your kids and to speak over your house. So if you want to refer back to that. But blessings make tremendous power available. They're very powerful. And life and death is in the tongue. The next thing is, I'm talking about how to get a portal over your life. Blessings has a lot to do with that. Number one, you've got to live holy. We all know that you've got to live righteous, get the sin out, and speak blessings. Number two, worship. Worship brings the presence of God like nothing else. That's why when Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, Our Father, you're God's children because of the blood. So that right there, you're, you're, you're saying, Our Father, I'm coming through the blood. And what else? Hallowed be your name. Worship. So you go from the blood to worship. And as you begin to worship, that's how you connect with God. And the same thing in a church service. That's why we'll take the Lord's Supper, but then we'll move into worship. Because you're going through the blood. And then as you, what happens when we begin to worship? The presence of God. The Holy Spirit rides on the winds of worship. Always remember that. The Holy Spirit moves and traffics in worship. So if you want an open heaven over your life, get worship in your life. If you want a portal over your home, get worship in your home. You know, I gave you guys some things last week on CD, but you know, one of the things I've done with modern technology is you can put things in your computer that's going to play all the time. And I have some extremely anointed, powerful worship and things like that that just play quietly in the background all the time. And it releases an atmosphere. Another thing is learn how to pray and fast and travail and intercede. Prayer and fasting. You know, the incense that was in the tabernacle, I've said this many times, the incense that was in the tabernacle represented praise and worship, prayer and intercession. But that incense that they would burn, that incense was what took them into the Holy of Holies. So as you learn how to worship and to pray, prayer, prayer is the key to open heavens. I'm telling you, prayer and fasting is the key. Jesus in Hebrews 5, 7, it says that with loud cries and with tears, he would pray. So as you pray and as you fast, as you intercede, get to know the Holy Spirit. You see, prayer and fasting is the key to a portal. An interesting thing to the anointing. The anointing and a mantle 
that's also something that comes with an open heaven. That's something that you have on your life and can play into an open heaven. But I want you to think about this. The anointing, if you protect the anointing on your life, the anointing will protect you. The Lord spoke to me one time and said that the mantle, he said the mantle is like Joseph's coat of many colors. A mantle on your life is a mantle of many anointings. That's what the Lord told me. So a mantle and the anointing, just like Elijah. Look at Elijah's life. Elijah was supernaturally protected to where he by himself killed 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. He killed them. He was supernaturally protected. And whenever people would come against him, there were times that he called down fire from heaven that fried him right there on the spot. He was supernaturally protected. What protected Elijah? Did God just look through Israel and say, hey, I just happen to like this guy. So, no, it wasn't like that. Elijah had an anointing on his life and he had a mantle. And that anointing and that mantle protected him. Are you hearing me? Now, let me say this. Once somebody has had an anointing, if they lose out and they get into sin, the very place that anointing and that mantle protected them will be replaced with a tormenting spirit. And remember King Saul who was anointed. But as King Saul began to go to a witch in Endor for information, and he backslid, he was away from God, now there was a tormenting spirit that came against him. You need to keep a fresh anointing on your life and guard the anointing. It will protect you. The armor of God. In these last days, we've got to put on the armor. And this also plays into, here we are waging war, we're praying, we're fasting, we're travailing, we're pressing in for an open heaven. Do you really think that the principalities over regions are going to sit there and they see these holes being punched in the sky and angels ascending and descending and they look down and they see revival fire, they see people getting saved. Do you really think that that makes them happy? You're punching holes in their brass heaven. You're messing with their territory. And so as we're doing this, you need to make sure that you're putting on the armor of God every day. Every day I pray, Lord, let the armor come on me today. In Jesus' name, and I walk in it. The armor is put on by faith, but the helmet on your mind has to do with you you renewing your mind. But I'm going to tell you, when the helmet is there, there's a grace to help you renew your mind. See what I'm saying? The breastplate that's over your heart area guards your heart. Because you know how Satan tries to attack people. A lot of times he tries to mess with their head. And then after messing with their head, he tries to make them feel a lot of condemnation. That their own heart, they feel like they've grieved God and they're down on themselves. That's the way that Satan used to really attack me when I was young in the Lord. And I know he attacks a lot of people like this. He messes with your head. And he tries to mess with your heart. It's hard to minister when your own heart is condemning you and you feel like you're a piece of garbage. And it's hard to minister or do anything for God when your mind is all jumbled up. Listen, when you have on the helmet, you can renew your mind and the Lord helps you to throw out all the wrong way of thinking. If you'll chunk out the wrong way of thinking and you'll make yourself think the way God wants you to. And if you'll guard your heart, see the heart, the Bible says from the heart flows the issues of life. And you've got to keep a pure heart. But your heart, once, once you pray and you're sincere and you say, Lord, forgive me. 
I'm sorry, I repent. Once you really sincerely mean that, you're washed in the blood of the Lamb right then. You don't have to sit around and beat yourself up for the next three weeks because you made some mistake, and that's where the devil gets in. That is where the breastplate of righteousness will help you that your heart is guarded from those things. Your heart doesn't get broken and condemned and heap condemnation, but your heart, you realize, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus by His blood. It's important that you have the belt of truth, but you've got to know the Word. Get into the Word because that is the anchor. You know, people that don't know the Holy Spirit and they don't know the Word are very much not anchored for these last day storms. And I'm concerned about a lot of people. And I'm going to tell you, as I look out across the body of Christ as a whole, and you guys know this as much as I do, I'm talking about everybody. I'm not talking about people in revival. I'm talking about everybody that professes Christianity. Many of them do not know how to pray. What are they going to do when times get tough if they don't even know how to pray? There's churches now that there's no anointing. What are they going to do in these last days? And these little feel-good sermons that people preach, that all it does is just a motivational speech that just makes people feel good, that right there actually is going to ruin them in these last days. Because I'm going to tell you, if all you lived on was chocolate and Twinkies, you would be sick eventually. And that's exactly, exactly what some of these people are doing. They get up there with motivational speeches, just make everybody happy and give them Twinkies all the time. And you know what? Spiritually speaking, they're anemic, they're weak, and they don't know how to persevere. They don't know how to pray. They don't know how to repent. What are they going to do? When the last days keep marching forward and it comes forth, I mean, this thing is rolling. I mean, it's like a locomotive. We're going right into these last days. As we get deeper and deeper into it, and it gets worse and worse in the world, what are some of these people going to do when the weight and the pressure of these last days starts pulling on them and they don't have the anointing and the prayer life to gird up under it and walk in victory. Learn how to put on the armor. The Bible talks about boots, their shoes of peace. It says the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. you got to learn how to walk in peace and not let the devil get you all freaked out. Learn how to put up your shield of faith. It's a literal shield and block things. When things come, learn how to it's faith. Your shield goes up and there's a protection. Learn how to use your sword. Jesus showed you. When the devil came, Jesus quoted the word. He said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word. And he would quote the Bible against the devil. And it was the sword of the word of God went out of his mouth. And James talks about, you know, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee whenever you start using. So the enemy comes against you and you say, I bind you, get out of here in Jesus' name. The Bible says, and you quote the word. That is how you put up a shield and how you turn and you begin to attack with the sword. And I want to close out with the blood, the power of Jesus' blood. That will open a portal. More than anything else, the blood. 
That's why until, you know, like for example, I was telling Brianna about that song. I said, sing about the blood. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. That's why I preach on the blood. That's why we talk about the blood. Because the blood of Jesus, listen, we need the blood over our lives fresh every day. It's a spiritual thing. But where the blood of Jesus is in Job 1, 9 through 10, Satan and some of his fallen angels had to go report to God. And God said, what have you been up to? And they said, well, we've been roaming around to and fro, you know. And God said, have you seen Job? And brought up the subject. And this is what the devil said. He said, well, you know, about Job. He said, there's a hedge of protection around him and his family and all that he has. I can't touch him. And then Satan started accusing Job to God, but I'm not going to get into that. But think about what the devil said. He said, there's a hedge of protection around Job and his family and all he has. And this is what Job, this is way back before even Moses. So back then, there was a priesthood in the order of Melchizedek we don't know a lot about. But it had a lot to do with the, the man of the house. And he would get up every morning. Job would. He was a righteous man. Every morning, he would sacrifice an animal, shed blood for the sins of his family. He was putting blood over his family every day but it was before Jesus so he was putting the blood of animals now if the blood of animals by faith back then had the power to put a hedge of protection around him and his family and all they had so Satan could touch him how much more powerful is the blood of the Lamb of God it's the blood and listen every day we need to have the blood over our lives ply the blood Here's also the power of the blood. The Bible says in Psalms 23 that he prepares, God prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So I just picture the enemies all around. And here you are at the table of the Lord, the communion table. And it's like being in the eye of the tornado where things are swelling around you. But here you are covered in the blood, taking the Lord's Supper. In Exodus 12, 7 through 23, they took hyssop, which was grass, basically, and it was like a paintbrush, and they, they, they killed the lamb. The blood was in this bowl, and they would dip it, and they would paint the blood. They did this in Exodus 12. They painted the blood over the doorpost of their home. And you guys have probably at least seen a movie about this where Moses took the children of Israel out of Egypt, but they painted the blood on the doorpost of their home. And when the death angel came... The last plague, the death angel would see the blood and would not, they wouldn't be able to touch that house. So your blood, the blood of Jesus can be over a home. And the enemy comes, they come in with a vengeance. They come in with literally boots of anger. They come in with a sword. They come in armed. And they're coming charging at a house, but whenever they see the blood, it's like right in their face. And they're like, whoa. Because the blood is what puts up some kind of a barrier of protection. How I many of you guys want to press in for a portal? And I'm just going to say this with humility, but it's a, it's a fact. There's a portal over River of Life. It's taken some time to get it, but it is. And I think that that's why we have faced you know, the realm of principalities and powers, because... When you poke a hole in their little territory and angels are ascending and descending and you're out there winning souls and you're seeing revival, they're not happy. 
But I say this with humility as well. But I say this for your sake. They don't intimidate me at all. And I'm not going to stop. We're here and we're going to keep taking souls. And we're going to keep saying, seeing revival. And that's just the way it is. And this portal is going to keep getting bigger. In these last days, there's going to be some great rebellions. They're already here. I've got these cute little pet doves. And they've laid eggs. I may have more cute doves. Which I'm all for. I love them. But anyway, I've got a point to this, okay? It's getting getting too mushy. Let's get back to that. Okay. Anyway. So the little mama bird is just too cute. And she just sits there on the eggs, okay? And um, anyway, but here's the thing. Look at the animal kingdom. Even the animal kingdom will protect their young. They'll die for their young. One thing that you learn if you're if you ever go camping, you don't mess with, you know, like a baby bear cub. You know, you see it and it's like this big or whatever. You think, oh, so cute. And you go to pick it up, and then you know the mama bear comes and it's over. You know. But I said that to make a point. It takes it takes depravity. That in people now, that that a woman will willingly kill her own child, when even in God's creation, even in the order of creation, that animals won't even do that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's murder. It's shedding innocent blood. And did you know there's a scripture? I believe it's in Leviticus. I'd have to look it up. But there's a scripture in the Bible that says that there are certain sins that will actually cause the land to vomit you out. You hear what I'm saying? There's certain sins. And when I read the list of sins, it had to do with shedding innocent blood. It had to do with witchcraft and occult practices. And you're sitting here thinking, man, this stuff is going on all the time. If you're in Christ and you have a sinful past and you're still struggling with that, you're not free. Okay, Your faith level needs to come up. So if you've done some of these things in your past and it still bothers you, it's because your faith level isn't where it needs to be. Because faith in the Bible says that you're forgiven. And it's washed away. So if you're still dwelling on it, then you're in doubt, fear, and unbelief or some kind of condemnation from the devil. So don't let that affect you. All right. Secondly, homosexuality. It goes against the very order of creation. God created man, then he created woman as a helpmate, and then later children. And that's also the order of God. The order of God. It says in the Bible that the man is over the woman just as Christ is over the church. It's a headship. He created the man, then the woman, then the children in that order. But what you see is you're seeing these great end time rebellions where people are going against the very order of creation. You see disorder in the home. 2 Timothy 3. You read this for yourself because it's hard hard to believe that this is in the Bible. But it actually talks about this. It says in the last days children will be rebellious toward their parents. This is not something that's been in the human race very commonly back many years ago. I know that you don't believe that. But that it is not something that has been all along. In ancient Israel, if there was a rebellious kid, they just stoned them. 
But it says in the last days, listen, it says in the last days kids will rebel against their parents and this is what it says. And in this, you read it for yourself, it says those that do these things are worthy of death. Worthy of death? Also, you're seeing unnatural, perverted sexual desires that there's no way that that is even remotely normal. You're seeing people that are now under the influence of demon spirits that are now starting to crave in a sexual way things that go against creation. The only sex that God has ever sanctioned is between a husband and wife in marriage. And people, it's like I grieve because I know, I study history, I know that these things in these last days is not normal. I know that years ago it wasn't like this in America. I know that years ago, back in the 50s, that it was very abnormal for people to get pregnant out of marriage. I know that. I know that, that adultery was frowned on. I know that homosexuality was, whoa. You know, I know that it was not... And now, we've slipped into the last days, and there have been gates of hell that have opened, and things have come out on the land... And people are under the influence of spirits and they're doing all kinds of things. And every generation, it started in America, it started in the 60s, but every generation has taken the sins of their fathers and gone farther. And seeing the, the level of rebellion, it was not always like this in America. There was a time not that long ago, there's people living right now that remember it very well. There was a time when there was not that much rebellion in school at all. And children were not that rebellious toward their parents. It was rare. But in these last days, you're going to see lawlessness and violent criminal activity on the rise. These are days that you're going to have to live by faith. I need to talk about faith throughout this series, but listen, we've got to learn to live by faith. Too many people are living in fear. We're not supposed to fear the last days. We're supposed to be people of faith. How can you live in fear if you're full of faith? We're supposed to be full of faith that God is protecting us, but you have a prayer life. And you walk with God. He orders your steps. You pray over your days. Here's some things to watch out for, though. Things that can delay God's promises to you. Doubt, fear, and unbelief prevents faith. Doubt, fear, and unbelief is an enemy. It can be of the flesh, but there's also there can also be spirits of doubt, fear, and unbelief. But they work against faith. Pride prevents needed grace. You need grace in your life, but pride will keep grace from you. Grumbling and complaining puts, it puts people in a holding pattern. And it's by a miracle that they'll ever get out of it. But in that holding pattern, they'll go in circles. Also, hindering spirits that are sent by the devil will try to bring delay. And also a need for personal deliverance and inner healing. Many times these areas are doors to the enemy. And I'm going to close by reading you another story about inner healing. Inner healing and deliverance go together. And so I'm going to close with, and we're going to pray. Those that want prayer, but it says this. 
There's a lady by the name of Lori that came to see this minister. Okay, I'm reading this from this guy. He said he, she came to see me about a petition for divorce that her husband had filed against her. The state in which they live was a no-fault state and there was no defenses. Lori, I told her, as you know, we cannot stop this petition. However, I want to help rehabilitate you so that you will not repeat whatever is behind this divorce. I want you to think about your responsibility in this matter. And Lori became very irate. She said, what do you mean my responsibility? He's the one that has a girlfriend and he's the one that cheated. And the pastor said, okay. All I ask is that you go home and think about what I said. And we'll talk about it next week. A week later, Lori was more contrite and she came to the pastor and apologized. She said, when I went home, I began to think about what you said. My husband was a really nice person when I married him and he did all the shopping and cooking and he helped with dishes, cleaned the house. However, we used to watch TV at night and I could not stand to have him sit next to me. I used to tell him to sit elsewhere. I don't know why. And after a while, I didn't want him around, so I suggested that he take up bowling. Then I told him that he should go more often. Eventually, he was out bowling four nights a week. Lori paused at this point, and tears came to her eyes as she continued. That's where he met his girlfriend. And she even called me one day and asked me if I was sure that I wanted to let him go. And she said she didn't know why that somebody wouldn't want to date such a nice guy. And the pastor asked her, said, well, what did you tell her? And she said, I told her she could have it. Then Lori added, he is a nice guy, and I don't know why I didn't want to be around him. And so the pastor asked her, said, Lori, do you want to figure this out? Do you want to know why? And she nodded yes. And so they prayed, and they asked Jesus to show her what happened in her past, in her life, that caused her to push her husband away. Instantly, Lori, as she prayed, saw herself in the fifth grade. Every day after school, she would go home, do her homework, and have supper. After supper, a girlfriend who lived next door would come over and they would play jacks together. And the pastor asked her, well, what happened? And she said, my, my friend never did her homework. Every day, she would copy off my homework and, you know, before we played jacks. Then at the end of the year, she won first place for having the best homework. And so he and the pastor said, well, what did you conclude from this experience? And she said, I concluded to never trust anyone who tries to get close to me. All they want to do is steal things from me. Then Lori recalled a time later in her life when she was in high school and her best friend stole her boyfriend. At that time, the pastor and her prayed and she renounced the lies of the enemy and asked Jesus to heal and wipe out those bad memories. Soon she had a difficult time remembering the incident. Lloyd was rehabilitated. Sally, however, it was too late to save her marriage. It's interesting how something that happened when she was a kid, she would draw a conclusion that if I get close to people, they'll try to steal things from me. She accepted that lie in her mind. A lot of demonic torment goes back to believing lies. There was a woman that I had the honor of praying with, and some of you guys met her down in Austin. She's a real sweet lady. She had been very abused growing up. She had been raped by a dad and an uncle, and then later on in life, I mean, this was her whole childhood. Later on in life, she got married. Her husband cheated on her. It was just one thing after the other. I mean, it was a life of betrayal. 
When she got older, she was bitter and angry. When I met this woman, I knew that she was she was full of bitterness, and I knew that she had demonic spirits in her life. There was no doubt. And I talked to her, and I prayed with her. I led her to the Lord, and I walked her through deliverance. Now, the physical manifestations I was not expecting, but as we prayed about God cleansing out all of that junk, taking out all the bitterness, all the hate, getting it all out of her, and commanded demonic spirits to go, she said for like a week straight, she just vomited. But she said at the end of the week, she got up from that, and she said she could not even remember what had happened. And I asked her, I was like, well, you know, and she said, she said, I don't even remember the stuff that happened when I was a kid. I don't remember it. She said, it's like God just erased it. She said, I don't remember. She was very grieved because she knew out of her own hurt and bitterness that she had been somewhat mean or aggressive toward her kids. She loved her kids a lot, but out of her own hurt, she had been kind of hurtful toward them. She was really grieved about it. But she said that she went to talk to her kids and apologize to them. And she said God had done such a miraculous work in her whole family that her kids told her, we don't even know what you're talking about, Mom. You were never like that. She said God erased it in my kids. God totally erased all this bad memories and all the hurt of the past. And now, when you see her, she's all happy and bouncy. She has a glow. And she's serving the Lord in ministry. God is a God that can heal your past. And He can take out all these old memories and these hurts. But people need to go back and think about, is there things in my past that happened to me that were traumatic, negative? And during those times, you believed things in your mind that were not true. And now, that agreement with a lie, that agreement has caused behavior in your life. To where you're doing things. Maybe you push people away. Whatever. And the Lord spoke to me this. I want to pray with people about this. The Lord spoke to me today when I was in prayer. I felt led to, to skip a meal. And I really prayed. I was serious. And the Lord spoke to me and said, There's people that are dealing with a fear of being hurt again. That's what he said. So if that's you, I want to pray with you. But there's a fear of being hurt again. And that fear is an agreement in your mind. You're agreeing that you could get hurt again. And what happens is, is that when people live like that, there's walls up and there's things that are in their behavior that's not good. And another thing you need to ask the Lord about, is there things in your past that you spoke? In the way of curses. Things you spoke over yourself. Calling yourself stupid. Calling yourself ugly. Calling yourself fat. Saying that I'll, saying things like you'll never amount to anything. Calling yourself a loser. You need to be careful what you say. Because you can later on, you, you can become an on-fire Christian, love the Lord. But you're literally working against the very curses you put on yourself. And you're working against those curses. Are there things that maybe you've, you swore or you vowed that are now working against you? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the Lord to start bringing things to your mind.
and those that are watching online, those that are listening to this, I'm praying for you too. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name with every person within the sound of my voice, and y'all agree with me, okay? I pray, Lord, that you'll bring things to people's minds that maybe they believe lies of the enemy. There was something that, that you know, was spoken into their mind and they believe that and it's not truth. And they need to go back and repent of that and change their thinking. Maybe there's things they spoke over themselves. There's vows that were made. There's things that were spoken that now they're working against those things. Lord, I'm asking you to bring things to people's remembrance so they can repent. But I'm also asking you with the pain and trauma of the past, Lord, that you would bring such a healing that it would be erased like it never happened. And what you did for my friend in Austin that you would do for them and bring a total healing. And Lord, I pray people that there's a fear that something would reoccur. They've been through some things. There's a fear. There's an underlying fear that this could happen again. And it's resulted in maybe jealous behavior or maybe pushing people away or walls or, or not wanting to get close to people or whatever it is. Lord, I'm asking you tonight that you would lay the axe to the roots and break the power. I want everybody to pray that after me. Jesus, forgive me for any fear. Fear of being out of control. Fear of being hurt again. Or suffering, loss. or suffering loss. Any fear. Any fear. I, repent. I repent. Wash me in your blood. You're the one who protects me. And keeps me. And I command anything. Fearful. To leave my life. Anything that's been in my life. Because of, fear, because of fear to leave my life, leave my life. in Jesus name right now I thank you for freedom alright so Father God I pray for them and I, I pray that right now if there's areas of lies there's areas of bondage I break those things off their lives and command the enemy is going to go from their life and, and tonight I want you to, to pray I'm going to put on some worship we're going to shut down the recordings and all of that but I want you to pray about what I said and ask the Lord, are there areas in your life where the enemy has, has caused you to believe lies or you've spoken things that you're working against? The Lord's going to bring it to your mind and what you need to do is repent of it. And if you want me to pray with you about it, I'll be more than happy to do so. So Father God, I thank you for moving in every life and bringing freedom. I thank you for punching a hole in the sky over every person's head, Lord, that I'm praying with right now. There's going to be an open heaven. There's going to be a portal. And I ask you, Lord, as they confess things before you in their life and repent of things, that the gates of hell are going to be shut against their life. And they're going to walk under an open heaven. We thank you for it now, and we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go ahead and shut down recordings. And, and anybody wants prayer, just where you're